Chapter Twenty Eight of the Forgery by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Eight. Perhaps no two animals upon the face of the earth have fewer points of attraction for each other in all ordinary circumstances than a plain English peasant and an Italian valet. When Joshua Brown and Carlo Carlini were left together in the sitting-room of the master of the latter, there was but one single link of sympathy between them, and that a very remote and indirect one. Every Italian, I believe, not from nature perhaps, but from the circumstances and accidents of his country, has more or less of the peddler in him. He is always dealing with some kind of wares, religious, political, moral, philosophical, even if they be not commercial in the ordinary sense, wherein he is very sharp, too. He is always exalting these wares with praise, and magnifying his own information and capabilities, and he is, nine times out of ten, trying to make you believe that Pinchbeck is gold, and that an Italian is an old Roman. I speak generally without meaning to say for one moment that there were not many exceptions, but still, between such a man as Joshua Brown and such another as Carlo Carlini, there seemed to be but one tie, namely, the peddlerism which I have mentioned. There were, however, in reality, other and better ties, which they found out after a time, and, strange to say, the most powerful of these was honesty of purpose. "'Will you come down with me, sir, and take a glass of wine?' said Carlo Carlini to the peddler, well knowing what his master's injunction to take care of his guest implied. "'Or perhaps you have not dined, sir, and would like something more solid?' There was a certain dignity and grace about the man, nothing abated by his foreign accent and look which had a good deal of effect upon the peddler, whose general notions of valets and valetry were not very sublime. Really, thought Joshua Brown, this is quite a grand sort of a man. One would take him for a prince in disguise, if one didn't know better. He seems no way proud, however, but just like his master. Here his contemplations came to an end, and he replied with a low bow, thank you sir i have not dined as to wine it's very little of it i get for there's less of it in our country than in yours i take it and not very good either there is plenty of very good wine in england said carlini shaking his head solemnly backwards and forwards only very dear mr brown but my master who is a rich man and a liberal one does not grudge me my glass of wine knowing that I have been accustomed to it all my life, as well as himself, for we both come from countries where there is nothing else but wine to be drunk, except water. "'Is not your master an Englishman, then?' asked Mr. Brown. "'No, a Spaniard, to be sure,' replied Carlini, with a start. "'What made you think he was an Englishman?' "'Why, his language, his name, his manner, his look,' said Joshua Brown. All made me feel sure he was an Englishman. Oh, as to his language, said Carlini, he speaks Italian, Spanish, and French just as well as he does English. And then, as to his name, that's his father's name, and he was an Englishman. His manners and appearance may be English, too, 
but nevertheless he has lived with spaniards all his life having been brought up as the nephew and heir of don balthazar de Samosa. but come let us go down mr brown you shall have some dinner and then we will have a quiet glass of wine together as you call it in england joshua brown followed his new friend down to a small room on the sunk story meditating very profoundly as he went there was something that puzzled him greatly he could not make the two broken ends of colonel middleton's story fit at all and at last he convinced himself that the servant must have made a mistake he cannot have been long in colonel middleton's service he thought i will find out how long he has been with him in pursuance of this resolution mr joshua brown after having comforted the inner man with some very soft and savoury viands and as soon as a glass of not bad wine was placed in his hand looked across at signor carlini with a very shrewd expression of countenance winking his eye over the rich juice of the grape and saying a very good master yours mr carlini i should think one does not meet with such every day no that one doesn't answered carlini heartily no one has an easier or a better place than i have i suppose you've had it a long time said the pedlar in an inquiring tone about five years replied carlini but i knew him three or four years before that ah oh, mr brown one sees strange changes in this world when first i saw my present master he brought into my counting-house a draft for twenty thousand dollars and i paid it as if it had been no sum at all the next time i saw him i was a waiter at an inn and when he paid the bill he gave me a dollar for myself without knowing me again that is a strange history indeed said the pedlar how came you to have such a fall sir oh revolution revolution replied carlini revolution by which poor men think to better their condition but which always ends in making them the first sufferers it was the revolution in the new world that ruined me but as it only brought me down to the same rank from which i rose and indeed not quite to that i have no cause to grumble mine's a very strange history altogether it must be so indeed answered joshua brown i should like of all things to hear it i always like to hear people's histories mr carlini not for curiosity's sake only but because there is always something in them to show us how good god is to all his creatures and to make us contented with our own lot and also to hear a real history from a man's own mouth is to me like seeing a picture especially if there are many ups and downs in it to represent the mountains and the valleys well said carlini take another glass of wine and i'll tell you something of it for it is worth listening to and so is your master's too i should think rejoined mr brown whose curiosity was directed more towards the history of colonel middleton himself than that of his servant not half so much as mine answered carlini for his has all been prosperity from beginning to end and mine has been continually changing as you will see carlini's story the first thing that i remember was running about in the streets of naples a ragged boy without shoes stockings jacket or hat i suppose i had a father and mother 
if I did but know who they were. But of that they took very good care I should never be informed, and, to tell the truth, I have no great curiosity on the subject. My name was universally admitted by all my companions to be Carlo, which in your language means Charles, and when I was about eight years old, a much bigger Carlo than myself, having joined the band of little vagabonds to which I had been attached from infancy, I acquired the name of Carlini, which in your language means little Charles. Till I was nine years old, where I slept, how I was clothed, and what I fed upon, were three miracles, not at all less curious than the liquefying of the blood of San Januarius. But at nine years old, my first change of fortune took place. The two Carlos in the same troop could not agree. Carloni thrashed Carlini, and Carlini immediately deserted. I remember very well the second day after I had quitted my band, standing with a faint heart and a feeling of exceeding solitude, before the shop of a barber who, I found afterwards, had just lost his apprentice by fever. My back was turned to the shop, for I little thought that any good would come out of it for me, when suddenly I found something touched me, and turning round, I saw a basin stretched out through one of the small open panes, while the voice of the barber exclaimed, "'Here, boy, run and fill that with fresh water at the fountain.' I need not say how gladly I ran, and filling the basin I brought it back. But to make sure of some reward I did not give it in at the window again, but carried it in at once by the door. There I found a stout, tall man, just shaved, to whom the barber with great respect handed the basin of water, into which his face and eyes were immediately plunged. Seeing the barber very zealous, to show every attention in putting his customer's dress to rights, I thought I could do no better than ape his civility, by going down upon my knees and brushing the dust off the stranger's shoes with the ragged sleeve of my shirt, which certainly was not much more dirty when I had done than when I began. However, my attention pleased the stranger, and he gave me a piece of copper to the value of a penny. It was the first money I recollect ever having had in my life, and I fancied it would have bought half of Naples. The same barber's shop became a sort of treasury to me. For two months I continued to plant myself there before the window, either lying on the stones in the sun and pitching little bits of bones to and fro, or standing and watching to see if I could be of service. The shaver was a kind old man enough, and did not forget me. From time to time he would throw any little job in my way, such as holding a gentleman's horse, brushing his shoes, or carrying a message, and when there was nothing of this kind to be done, and I looked very hungry, he would give me two or three handfuls of pasta, or a lump of bread. He found me active, diligent, and faithful, and, contriving to live principally upon his charity, and to save all the little sums which I got, I was at length enabled to purchase some articles of decent dress, and appeared at my old post with a much more respectable exterior. The old man was delighted, not only with the change in my appearance, but with the self-command which had furnished me with the means, and taking me into his shop he asked me a great number of questions about myself, preparatory, as it turned out, 
to engaging me in his service he could not have found one whose mind was more open to instruction than mine it was like a bag ready to be filled for there was actually nothing in it i could neither read write nor calculate i knew no tongue but the jargon of the lazzaroni and i didn't even know my own name which was perhaps no great evil after all well at the end of three days from that time i was fully installed as a barber's boy i learnt to shave to dress hair to sharpen razors to make perfumes and cosmetics to bleed and on occasion to draw a tooth all this my master taught me gratis he having my services at the same rate nevertheless he fed me and though neither very delicately nor very abundantly the food was so superior to any i had ever had before that in despite of a lean nature i grew fat the little gratuities i received from time to time furnished the small stock of clothes i wanted and enabled me to get some instruction in matters which did not come within the sphere of my worthy master i taught myself to read i learned to write i acquired a competent knowledge of arithmetic i picked up a little french amongst the people at the port for a frenchman thinks that every one is bound to speak his language and that he is bound to speak none but his own i learned a great deal of spanish without any difficulty at all and at the end of five or six years i flattered myself that i was a very accomplished barber my old master was now beginning to be stricken in years and much less active than he had been so that at length we divided the work between us he remaining at home to shave and dress those who came to the shop and i going out to the more courtly customers who required attendance at their own houses the business still remained very good and i cannot help flattering myself that i had some share in keeping it up and increasing it my old master seemed so far sensible that this was the case as spontaneously to offer me one-fourth of the receipts for which i was most grateful although i had three-fourths of the labour i had a sincere affection for the old man for he was the only father i had ever known but he was not destined to remain long with me i was not nineteen when the old man died his relations claimed his shop and his implements even to an old worn-out shaving-brush which would have rubbed the skin off a rhinoceros but the business remained with me i took the shop next door stocked it and beautified it with the money i had saved and was shaving powdering and pomatuming from morning till night most unluckily a spanish grandee who passed a winter in naples placed his head and chin under the immediate superintendence of carlo carlini i was soon taken into great favour and as this nobleman was about to return to his own country in the spring he exerted all his eloquence to persuade me that my talents were quite thrown away in the city of naples madrid he said madrid was the only fitting theatre for the display of my genius it was the elysium of barbers where i was certain to find myself completely happy he offered even to take me in his own suite defraying all my expenses by the way and he promised that i should shave every friend he had in the world and powder and perfume all his mistresses who were many in an evil hour i yielded 
off we set for madrid and very well did my spanish patron keep his word till we reached that city i fared sumptuously along the road and the system of favouritism being universal in spain i was considered his highness's favourite and treated accordingly but unfortunately after our arrival in madrid wars and rumours of wars broke out very soon and the duke was prevented from carrying out his views in my favour by the strong hand of death which seized him just as i had established myself in the spanish capital and was obtaining a little of the promised custom my days of prosperity were now at an end my little capital gradually diminished my patience did not increase my stock of smart clothing wore out and six pairs of white silk stockings absolute necessaries to a spanish barber were reduced to three as the very utmost neatness and cleanliness are required in that country you may easily suppose that my silk stockings made frequent visits to the wash-tub and my lavandera who was the most punctual of women had the strictest injunctions to return that indispensable part of my apparel at a certain hour on the day after she had received them she was be it remarked a very pretty woman and had captivated the heart of one of the royal guard whom i not unfrequently saw at her house and found him an exceedingly amiable good-humoured young man one morning as my good fortune would have it my silk stockings did not return the preceding day had been rainy and although it does not often rain in madrid yet when it does there is plenty of mud in the streets a prince and a duke were waiting to be shaved and after waiting in a state of acute anguish for half an hour i was obliged to sally forth in my dirty stockings i lost two of my best customers but fortune and misfortune are always intimately mingled in the affairs of this life what i thought my ruin was the dawn of my most prosperous day i rushed down to the lavandera i scolded like a madman about my silk stockings i demanded that she should instantly produce them she could not do so and i accused her of having pawned them thereupon she burst into tears and acknowledged that she had lent them to manuel g the royal guard who was to appear that day on duty at the queen's dinner a mysterious hint had been given him by an old lady of the court to dress himself as handsomely as possible intimating that his future success in life might depend very much upon his personal appearance as soon as i learned that they had been lent to g for whom i had a real regard my wrath evaporated let him keep them as long as he likes i said and tell him when my silk stockings have made his fortune i hope he will make mine but in the meantime my good girl though i have only two pairs left you must contrive that i have a clean pair each day the girl afterwards assured me that she had given him my message and that g said he would not forget me but what was my surprise not a week after to hear that he had received a lieutenant's commission in his corps and then with the most marvellous rapidity came the intelligence of his being a captain colonel general a grandee of spain a prince a prime minister during all this time i heard nothing of him and i concluded here is that person again sir inquiring for the colonel said the inferior waiter 
whose peculiar task it was to attend upon the gentleman's gentleman. "'Send him in, send him in,' said Carlini, stopping in his story. "'You, Mr. Brown, have to deal with him, you know.' The moment after, the door was again opened, and Mr. Mingy Bowes entered, his face suddenly assuming a look of extreme surprise on perceiving the person of the peddler before him. End of chapter 28